0: I think part of it is also proving to myself that I could be more than just an athlete. Like, Mm -hmm. I think there's this massive stereotype of like, you know, jocks and-
1: Yeah, like you're just an athlete.
0: Just an athlete. And I was like, well, no, I've got to be more than that. And I want to have more impact and I want to have more of a legacy than just an athlete.
1: Hello, welcome to episode 11 of the Per My Last Email podcast. Today's episode is kind of special because it's being released one week after the last episode. We usually release episodes every two weeks, but the reason for the change is that we are continuing Emily's story from last week. So if you didn't listen to last week's, Pause here. Go listen. Come back. But just a little recap. Emily is a three-time Olympian for the Canadian ski team. And we basically left off last week after her third Olympics. Prior to that third Olympics, she had gone to Australia And sort of sat on the beach for six weeks with no one talking to her. No family, no ski coaches, nobody kind of interacting with her. And she sat and thought about what she was going to do next, whether she was going to keep competing, whether her career was over. And she decided to do this last third Olympics and then be done with skiing as a career. And so we ended that episode just about there. And today's episode kind of drops into my conversation with Emily as to what happened next She's 30 years old at that point. She's essentially retiring at 30 years old from doing the things she's done the majority of her life. And what does she do next? And how does she sort of mentally and physically transition into the next part of this story in her life? And we'll hear all about it and we'll learn how Emily ended up in corporate America and ultimately actually still traveling the world. But I think what's cool about this story, for those of us who are not Olympians, I am not an Olympian. I know that's shocking. You all might be, but I am not. For those of us who are not Olympians, I think what's interesting is is we also sometimes hit our endpoints in certain parts of our lives and would like to reinvent ourselves. Maybe that means it's a career change or a city change or a life change of some sort, it's always tricky. It's always difficult. You never really know what it's going to look like. And you're sort of just jumping off a bridge and and hoping for the best because your intuition and your heart is telling you to do it. Emily gives a really great sort of roadmap as to how she did it and the thing that she sort of followed in herself that led her down the roads that she went down and, and ultimately built her the life she has now. But there's also something to say for the Olympians of the world for the military of the world. For anybody who, as Emily points out, lives this sort of locked in life where every moment of the day is this one thing. I think this happens with athletes. I knew somebody at one point who felt as though their sort of life in athletics was over and they had spent their entire 35 years on this planet working towards something in that world. And your identity is wrapped in it and your existence and your, your thought of why you exist is wrapped in that. And so for anybody in that place, if you're thinking about transitioning out or unfortunately your time has just run out, I think that transition is really difficult. And this podcast was always meant to show different forms of women in business and women's lives. And that's that's part of it. And I don't know if that part gets a lot of attention. I don't know if women in the military really get a lot of attention on how they're transitioning in their lives or athletics. And so, yeah, this episode kind of shows Emily's path out of athletics and into the corporate world. I hope you all enjoy. And thanks for tuning in two weeks in a row. Did you ever think about, you know, going into corporate, but like on the sports side, like to literally say I'm done, Mm -hmm. I'm going to go figure out how to do something that has literally nothing to do with this, which we're going to get into what you do now, but like literally has nothing to do with this. I'm going to go get an MBA, which has literally nothing to do with this. And I'm going to become a human being, according to sort of the world's view of what it means to be a human, which is a whole nother topic. But like, I'm going to go be a human that has nothing to do with being an Olympian.
0: I think part of it is also proving to myself that I could be more than just an athlete. Like, I think there's this massive stereotype of like, you know, jocks and...
1: Yeah, like you're just an
0: athlete. Just an athlete. And I was like, well, no, I've got to be more than that. And I want to have more impact and I want to have more of a legacy than just an athlete. And so I always knew that I was going to go into the corporate world. I had some amazing mentors in the corporate world who were my sponsors. They taught me, even when I started my foundation, one of the individuals who was one of the original founders and donors, he was like, I'm in let's do this. But here's the deal. Like you have to make the pitch. And that was like my first lesson of like pitching and business and, and value proposition and understanding your customer and, you know, all of these things. And so he taught me a lot along the way so that actually I was more prepared than I thought I was.
1: That's fair too. Like we're all learning lessons kind of as we go. And I think in your case, Whether it was you know the six weeks sitting on the beach or or whatever, there was points where you were like, oh wait, I actually do have the building blocks for this. I just didn't know it.
0: Yeah, and I just feel so lucky. My life is amazing, and I have (laughs) these people that like just have supported me and enabled me and empowered me. It's like when I come to these big crossroads in my life, there's always an answer. There's always something in in them like that comes from my network and my people. And so I'm just very grateful for that. And, you know, part of the foundation was this gentleman who helped start the foundation, but then was teaching and mentoring me and kind of took me under his wing. And then when I retired and I went to the University of Calgary and I was like hanging out with a bunch of 18 and 19 year olds wondering what I'd done with my life. And my best (laughs) friend was like, you need to go get your MBA. And I'm like, but I don't have a complete undergrad. She's like, it doesn't matter. And I'm like, yeah, but it does. And she says, no, it works. Like, this is what you can do. This is what you've got in your life. Go for it. I went for it. I would never have done that if she hadn't told me to do that.
1: So the school that you went to in London literally let you start the MBA before you had completed your bachelor's.
0: Yeah. So I have two years of an undergrad and they accepted me. I had to do two or three interviews. They put me through the ringer, but they just took a chance on me. There was someone there who understood the power of sport, respected my life, respected what I had done and saw value in it and took a chance on me. But the reason I applied was because someone told me to.
1: Somebody, somebody finally pushed you over
0: the mountain was like, just, just do it. And so I think that sometimes you don't always have that inside of you or like, you don't think you have it inside of you or or you don't, you find ways to talk yourself out of it. That's why it's so important to have these people around you that kind of hold you to account, push you when you should be pushed, teaching you along the way. Like, it's just really important. Nothing, nothing in life we should do alone. I don't think.
1: I don't know. I feel like you always see the video, right? Like somebody there's like people on a cliff and they're jumping off the cliff into the ocean. And it's like, you know, I don't know, like 50 million miles down. And mm-hmm. there are some people who can literally just jump. Mm-hmm. 90% of people grab somebody's hand and they've got to do it together. They need somebody to hold them accountable to that jump and yeah. to push them also. And I think it's sort of naive to say, I can get to the top of this giant mountain, look at the ocean. That's like barreling underneath that easily could kill me if I do this wrong or whatever and be like, okay, screw it. Here I go. Yeah, It's naive to think that you're going to be able to do that level of a jump on your own without community or someone or whatever, but you also have to be able to hear it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a choice.
0: Like to me, I'm like, I don't want to get to that mountain necessarily by myself. Yeah, Like it's just so much more rewarding when it's done I agree. Whether in service of something bigger than you, whether it's like with somebody that you enjoy and you can share it or whether it's like growing, you know, pushing each other. I just think it seems so lonely to do it all on your own.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think that's like always been my number one thing. Like I think as somebody who's an entrepreneur, like it's really fucking lonely. Yeah. And that's typically the conversation I have with entrepreneurs is like the difference between working in corporate and being an entrepreneur is ultimately like it's effing lonely. You yeah. are the one that makes decisions. Like, sure, you might have like a network that kind of helps here and there, but generally speaking, like late at night when everything has gone to shit, you're the one sitting there alone trying to like unravel the disaster. And yeah. save it for everybody else. And I would argue that's like, in my opinion, the hardest part about being an entrepreneur is like you are just on a cliff by yourself. Yeah. And you are like grabbing for friends or family or like whoever, somebody to sit on the cliff with you. I agree. I haven't
0: done the level of entrepreneurship that you have, but think of my traditional career. It's been in the corporate world. Yeah. But I guess through my foundation and through other stuff that I've done, I've yeah I do think like there's that trade-off, like in a corporate world, you're a cog mm. and your ability to actually have an impact is very small unless you're at the top. And so as an entrepreneur, when it's your dream or your ambition or your goal, it's, you're able to get reward and satisfaction and kind of fuel the fire more regularly, I would say. So it's kind of like sport. You get your highest to the highs. And the lowest of the lows and then corporate is just like bobbing along because there's When none... you
1: said that originally in my head, that's what I thought. I was like, I'm not an athlete, but like, that's my life. Yeah. <laughs> you get and the highest high and the
0: lowest low. And that was one of the reasons I chose corporate mm-hmm. and I didn't go out on my own after skiing. Cause I was like, I can't, I can not ready to do that again, to give my life to something like that. I probably will again, but it yeah. took me a while to kind of
1: get over that. Like I just needed a moment where I could bob. That's very, very telling. I mean, I've talked about this on the podcast. I feel like I'm getting there where I'm like, I'm tired. Mm -hmm. I've said this to to people before. I'm like, I'm literally tired of starting companies. How many companies does a girl have to start before her 35th birthday? Yeah. (laughs) Like I'm going to be 31 next month. And it's like, like, how many times do I need to reinvent the wheel for everybody until I can be like, can I just come bob? Like, can I just go Bob in somebody else's like machine for a minute? It's very enlightening to like always have that conversation. Cause I, to be honest, I don't think it's talked about, like, I think entrepreneurship is put on such this like pedestal Mm -hmm. and it's like, oh, that's the dream. You know, you can go to coffee at 10 AM and like, you know, if you want to go on vacation, you can like, it's, it's all the prettiness of it, but there's such calm in my opinion in corporate because you are part of the machine. Yeah. It's different. There's more politics. There's more, yeah, there's more B there's, you know, nothing is going to ever come without it's, it's downfall. All. And you've kind of lived the two sides. So you go get your MBA, you graduate and what happens? Cause then you somehow turned into a world traveler.
0: I know. I don't know how it happened <laughs> once again. So Imperial and BP have a corporate relationship. And so BP does a lot of its recruiting from Imperial. So they came and pitched this uh, future leadership program while I was there. And, I was like, gosh, this looks really interesting because I have no idea what I want to do when I graduate. Like, I don't know who, what do I want to be when I grow up? I don't know. And so they pitched this really cool program and then they're like, oh, it's for engineers and IT people. And so I went up to the person, the woman who was pitching it and I was like, cool, great program. You said you were looking for diversity and you just pitched to engineers and IT people. Is that really diverse? (laughs) like, well, who are you (laughs) and what's your story? And so I told her my story. She's like, okay, cool. Can you come for an interview? And so I went for an interview with BP, not for the program because I told
1: her my background. You were in fact not diverse enough for the program. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Well, they're like, you need like seven years of corporate experience. And I was like, well, oh, I I I, this is going to be my first corporate job at a ripe age of 32. It'll be. Um, and so yeah. I went in for an interview and then she's like, here's the deal. I want you to go for the program. And if not, we'll find you a job. Anyway, so I was like, okay, fine. This is cool. This yeah. so is going to be my first corporate interview. And so I, I go to, it was a two day interview, full on screening assessment center. And it was really intense but I never thought I'd get it. So I was just totally myself. And then for some crazy reason, I got it. I was like one of 26 people globally that got it out of thousands of applicants. And then I was like, oh, I have
1: it, it. do I want it? I want to work for an oil company, what? It's like you, you like you were on the train and then you got off because they told you to get on. You're like, I don't. This isn't the town I tried to. Where am I? I'm on the
0: oil and gas train. No, I I am green. People, People I'm like a tree hugger. I love the outdoors. And then and my like, bears are friends. Yeah, gosh. And then I was like, Oh my God. So I had a little chat with myself and I was like, Oh my God, you're so opinionated about this. And you're also a hypocrite because you traveled the world. You did a sport that made snow. You were sponsored by a coal company. Like what? Yeah. And so if you are, so and my one of my big things in life is that there's a lot of opinionated people out there and mm-hmm. their opinions come from reading news and you get a lot of people who think that they're educated and well-informed, but they're not. And so my thing has always been, if you're really opinionated about it, you have to enter that world to have the right to have an opinion. You have to enter that world. So I was like, okay, if you're so opinionated about it, go work for them, learn about the oil and gas industry. And if you hate it, you just quit. Like there's nothing lost, but at least you'll be more informed. And so that's how I, I ended up in it. So I started my first rotation on the program was in London I worked for Castrol, focused on like offer development and project management and product management, stuff like that. And then my boss was like, oh, what do you want to do next? You know, like there's this job available for offer development. Do you want that? I was like, well, no, it's kind of too similar to what I'm doing now. And I'm really looking for a stretch. And he's like, China? And I was like, like the job's in China? Like I'm (laughs) never going to go to China. No. And then same thing. I was like, Oh my God, I'm so opinionated about China. Wait, I'm- at this point, are you living in London? I'm living in London. So I did my, I'm like a year into the job. I'm commuting four hours a day, hating my life, but living in London. Cause I'm like, anyways, it was great. And then so he goes, how about if we make the role based in China? And I was like, I don't want to go to China. And then I was like, why don't you want to go to China, Emily? Yeah. And so same sort of thing, super opinionated. I'm like, I don't believe in communism. I don't, you know, like, Really, like stereotypical arrogant thoughts, and I was like, "Well, off you go, go learn about it." Off to China we go. Off to China we go. So I went, didn't know (laughs) a soul. Moved to Shanghai. I worked in offer development. So bringing products and services to market also for Castrol. So did that Focused on a, I was developed a kind of a green strategy. So this is like, look at us. I was like, okay, fine. I'm going to kind of start influencing where I can. And so, yeah, I did that. I was in China for 15 months. And then I had to kind of pick my next rotation and, and BP was like, you need to do operations. And I was like, really? Have you met me? I can't go to a refinery. That's just, that would be bad for everybody. And then they're like, well, we have retail. Why don't you do like retail operations? So I was like, okay, where <laughs> this job came up in San Francisco. And so I moved to San Francisco for two years and I managed gas stations. I had 29 gas stations. Oh, what? Like never did I ever think as I was a ski racer, you're like, I'm going to go manage <laughs> some gas stations.
1: gas stations,
0: AM PMs. <laughs> and so I was in charge of food so really trying not to kill people with food and then trying not to, you know, spill gas or do all that sort of stuff. <laughs> but it was like the most rewarding job I've Ever had. It was hard. I would never do it again. But I learned more in those two years than I in any other corporate job I've had. It's very real. It's you're dealing with a lot of people who've come, they're first generation immigrants, you know, they left their countries and they are accountants and doctors, and the gas station is where they came. That's all they could do. And then they got this gas station to provide a better life for their families. And so I just, you learn a lot working with these people. And I learned a lot about, you know, pricing of gas and commodities and, and just kind of operations of pretty yeah. complex business. And so that was awesome. And then that came to an end and I graduated from the program and I needed to get a proper job. And so I ended up in Chicago where I worked in strategy and portfolio where I was focused on inorganic growth. So M&A activity, it's a lot of acronyms. I didn't do much. And then I worked on strategies like market entry strategies and stuff. And then this February, there was a big BP did a massive reinvention, focused now on really, you know, sustainability, yeah. getting net zero. Kind the of, things
1: that are important to you. These
0: are all the things that were always really important to me. And, and to be part of this transition is phenomenal. It's really fascinating. It is not easy. But now, so I work in a division called Region Cities and Solutions, and I focus on corporates. I'm an integrated deal manager, and I work with tech companies and consumer good companies on helping them decarbonize.
1: Do you feel like some of the setbacks you had in skiing are the same setbacks you have now? That's a really good question. Yeah. In a way, like, so my setbacks
0: in skiing were kind of injuries getting into my head, but I was in a sport where time told, right? So I am not great at this. Like I would never be good in a subjective sport, like where there's ratings and all that stuff because I don't like to play all those games and so I'm pretty black and white and so I find in the corporate world what I struggle with is all of the schmoozing and like brown nosing that happens and I just have no tolerance for it and so I feel like that is a hindrance for me also I'm quite direct (laughs) which is not always good but I had to be in sport it's like that's one skill that I have that's not always a skill but I think I don't know my challenge is now in corporate world I feel like I'm a bit stuck but I think it's really it is it's the same as kind of we were talking at the beginning, like take pause. So being in Canada, it's like take pause. Think about what's important to you. What do I want to do in the next phase? And maybe it's to stay with BP and to do this. Maybe it's not. And so I think we all you always need to be checking in with yourself and making sure that my big thing is don't don't settle don't settle. If you're not happy, you're not fulfilled, you're not inspired, you're not motivated, make that change. And I can say that pretty flippantly because I don't have kids. So I understand that, you know, if you have kids, it's different, but I'm an only child and I have an older mother. And so I do have responsibilities and so I can't just be like, I'm retiring and I'm going to buy myself a little house and I'm just going to do nothing for the rest of my life. I would go crazy, but you know, I there are responsibilities in life. But having said that, life is like a lot, pretty long. You got to enjoy it.
1: Interesting. We kind of touched on this in the sport world. Like the male-female dynamic was quite aggressive in the sport world. Do you feel like it prepared you for corporate world? You were ready.
0: Yeah, but almost to the, my detriment because I'd never worked with females. I actually gravitated to working with males better and mm-hmm. more cuz I was like this is my comfort zone like yeah, you like I, you already have the coping yeah. mechanisms for that equation. Yeah. So that was one big aha moment. The other one I realized was I have a, you know, got lucky again in that I've been given these skills now or taught these skills through sport about how to speak up and have a voice. And I think most people would say I was an extrovert, but I wasn't always an extrovert. And I have this introvert side to me, but I developed an extrovert. To achieve.
1: achieve.
0: And so I think there's a lot of women in our corporate world that have never either been told that they can do that. They, They don't have to be either or, or given the chance to, to kind of, show up differently. I feel like there's a lot of women that I've worked with who just kind of settle to being the in the back row, not speaking up. And so a big part of what I want my impact in the corporate world is to try and empower other women to kind of be their best selves. I think what was shocking to me is I think because I have rapport with men, or I know how to work with men, maybe better than with women, I was never afraid to kind of go for it and to speak up and to, to do that. But that's not the gift that everybody has or the ability. Yeah. It's unfortunate that that is a requirement. The fact that that's a requirement and an expectation of getting a promotion or getting opportunities is like, having a loud voice or being outgoing or networking or whatever. Or playing Um, well in the boys' sandbox. Exactly. And that's unfortunate, but it's a reality. So how do you help a generation of women kind of, they don't have to play in the sandbox, but they got to understand what's in the sandbox. Yeah. So that they figure out how they show up and how they yeah. progress. And so there was a, some women that I worked with or leaders ahead of me, female leaders. I felt, so I felt grateful to them. They've paved the way. They've yeah. really opened doors for the generation behind us. But I feel like they've got these like shards of glass mm-hmm. attached to them. They're spiky and yeah. they're a little bit resentful and they're a little bit harsh. Like I had to work hard, you must too. And that's not my philosophy. I I really think that we should always be making it better for the next generation. So it shouldn't be like you owe it or you need to work as hard. It should be like
1: just like you have have to to suffer as many cuts as I have to suffer. Yeah,
0: exactly. So but for me, it should be like every generation has fewer cuts.
1: Yeah, that was a bit shocking to
0: me. Um, Women empowering and supporting women. I Mm -hmm. thought it would be different. It's not. And maybe because I've, I've had more men support, enable and empower me than women. In the corporate world.
1: I haven't had any like real, I mean, I've had like three experiences, but like one of my like worst experiences, and I've told a bunch of men about it, was a conversation with a woman that I actually thought could pave a certain path for me. And I was introduced to her for that reason. And the entire conversation was me essentially convincing her I wasn't trying to steal her job. And yeah. I was like, hold on a second, I'm asking you for advice. And suddenly this all got like spun around it's unfortunate I think that you're right there are certain places where there's so many shards of glass because there were so many barriers that needed to be broken that like unfortunately like there's like a bit of a spirit that has been broken as well and then it's like just they're in survival like they're like I survive now this is how I survive and like everyone else gets the F away from me versus an idea of how to progress as a community and how to progress as different generations and make more progress for the generation after. Because also one thing like that you mentioned that I think is interesting that I've never actually thought about is sure, like the idea is to create less sort of scabs, right, for the next generation or less reasons for them to get cut. But I think also their generation is going to have a whole different set of problems. And so it's completely ignorant, actually, to say I've been cut 10 times. So the girl, you know, 10 years younger than me also needs to be cut 10 times because she's going to be sitting in a world that's going to cut her in a different way. Absolutely. So it's you're actually asking her to have your 10 cuts Mm -hmm. plus her 10 cuts. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than saying, I'll take the brunt of my stuff so that you don't have to deal with that. And you only have to deal with the pile of shit thrown on your head. Exactly. It's ignorant. Like you believe that the next generation is going to have nothing to do except for the exact same problem you went through. No, that's that's, that's just not real life. You talk about the old boys
0: club or but it, there's something to that. Right. So they all like men's clubs and all that sort of stuff. They came together and they kind of but they had each other. They take care of each other. They take care of each other. And so, why don't we do that? Why doesn't it work? And I don't think it's the time now to have a, a female club and a men's club. We should yeah. just be. should just one big club. club. <laughs> it's yeah. just a club right. of people supporting people. There's still this like divisiveness. And now, more than ever, actually, there's more. Dif- there's just more complexity to how divisive everything is. No longer just gender. There's so many things. So many levels. Right no.
1: It probably does come from like. It's kind of the musical chairs thing, right? Like if there's a limited amount of chairs to butt that want to sit in it, you know, once you get down to five people and three chairs, you know, it's all fun and games when there's 20 chairs and 30 people. Like, ha, this is fun. But once we're down to five people and three chairs and you've, you know, you spent the two hours getting to that point, everyone's going to get real sneaky really fast. Yeah, but then it's like, okay, well, do you want to play that game or do you want to go build some more chairs? That's correct. That's correct. And so I think right now there is still this sense and I have literally no experience in corporate world and you have all the experience. So tell me if I'm just talking out of my rear end, but like my sense is there isn't yet this let's go make more chairs. It's Mm -hmm. like, we want to be kind to each other, but also there's three chairs Mm -hmm. and it's this like pull and push of, I want to be helpful, but also I want to save my own ass. And yet no one has said, how about we just all collectively go make more chairs?
0: Yeah. But I do think like the pandemic, all the different movements that have been happening, these are starting to affect change. There is a shift, but the shift, like we talked about before, yeah. does not happen overnight. Yeah. And so I do feel like there's a shift. People are finding their voice. Mm-hmm. People are finding, you know, the courage to kind of stick with what they believe, asking, you know, whether it's like, I want to work at home two days a week because I have a family Or whether it's, I need to take some time off. Can I share my job with somebody? Or whether it's, there's just, there's more asking. And I think that there's more accountability on hiring, not, not across all companies and not in all parts of the world, but I think in kind of the North Americas and the Europe's of the world, Australia, New Zealand, a lot, some of the Asian countries, there is, there's this accountability now that we are going to make a change. And you know some of it is coming through ESG, environmental social governance. There's more expectation in the governance space around having good governance of corporations. It should be diversified, gender diversification. It should have capability diversification. So there are systems that are changing and expectations that companies show up differently now, which is going to empower women and minorities
1: yeah and you're right it's just it's a long game it's a really long game and you know it's like perfect example you probably know the dates on this because i obviously don't but like whenever the the sort of ordinances were put in place that like certain we've got to be carbon neutral or whatever by some date that was put in place a decade ago no like yeah
0: well there's been all these different the paris accord like there's a the Paris There's country. all these
1: things and they give so much time because it truly takes that much time to mm-hmm. go from where you are to where you want to go that it does. Yeah. It's a multi-generational thing to kind of solve a problem, which isn't super helpful to the human being sitting in the problem <laughs> yeah like they're still sitting in their pile of garbage some people think it'll just solve itself too yeah and it's not it's not like you know we had a you know we t- discussed it on friday and on monday like you know solutions in place let's go
0: honestly there's people and corporations out there that are like that's not our problem it's somebody else's problem somebody else. we don't want to yeah take that first step
1: what right? a world What a world i know we're all I'm so thankful for you. Likewise. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, anytime. (laughs) I'm so grateful that you did this and you were willing and excited to share your part of sort of the world and your story just because, you know, you already know this. Like the life you lived is so unique and you are absolutely correct in that there are skill sets that you have that are really unique to, to the life you lived. And it's something that people need to recognize. And I hope my four listeners comprehend it.
0: Or zero, 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 zero. Yeah. All the zeros. I
1: think it's true because actually what I would say is that
0: unconventional is becoming, is the new. Yes. Yes, yes,
1: yes, yes. yes.
0: So don't try and fit to a norm that society says you need to fit because you, it's not going to work.
1: Not going to work. My favorite example of that is like the 18 year olds that are like YouTube stars that have like a bajillion dollars. No. Right. Like they literally made a bajillion dollars being themselves on the Internet. Yeah. And so So like scratch the box, scratch the checklist. Everyone already knows I hate the checklist, like be done with it, because these TikTok kids have literally made more money than all of us combined by putting lipstick on their face on the Internet. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. It's
0: like, does it matter that you've got this? You go to this pedigree of education and this pedigree of I don't know. I think there's more about life and having different experiences in yeah. life. Yes. You need an education. Absolutely. That's the best thing that you can give yourself, Yeah, but it doesn't need, I don't think it needs to be the tick the box.
1: Yes. I think what's excellent about all of it is it doesn't have to be this sort of, like you're saying the checklist, but it also doesn't need to be the thing that gets you the result. So like, one of my favorite things that like happened in the pandemic which like really isn't talked about but is kind of funny is like when Harvard during the pandemic was like okay here's this like online course you can all randomly take it right or masterclass became this thing and now everybody's on masterclass like learning some random skill. Yeah. Sure. You might you know like you might be in corporate America like have nothing to do with interior design and then suddenly take all these interior design classes. Maybe it's just something that makes you happy on Saturday, but your happiness on Saturday makes you a much more productive person on Monday in your job that has nothing to do with decorating. Absolutely. And so like the education is what you're saying. It's the most important thing. But in so many ways, it actually like isn't it can be important in where you're going, but it also might just be important in giving you Mm self-esteem or sort of a platform or whatever, right? And there's a million different ways to educate. I, for example, am not somebody who can go into a classroom and learn anything productively. Mm-hmm. Like I'm just, it's not for me. But like stick me on masterclass and I'm taking notes. I think this is great. Or like yeah. stick me in a real life situation and have somebody do something in front of me and with me. I'm like the fastest learner in that situation. Give me a book. And I'm like, I forgot how to read. I don't. I think changing
0: the medium of education, how we learn. It's like, you think of like how we got taught at school and there were so many people that went through that system that didn't succeed, not because they're not smart, but because the system failed them.
1: Yeah, like the system was set up for a human being with a completely different, like natural skill set. Yeah, and one way to learn. Like, yeah, right, right. Like if you're a visual person, you've got different versions of learning. Mm -hmm. And as you said, if you are going to diversify the type of people that you incorporate into corporate America, you have to understand that you're going to need your visual people because they're your content creators. And at this point, that's how you make money. You're going to need all these people. And so if you're only taking everybody from the Ivy league colleges, because they're really good test takers, you're going to have a really big problem. And so you've got to diversify who you're bringing in because they create differently. Absolutely. And on that note, maybe my podcast will be my life. (laughs) Yes, why not? I can't read a book and take a test. This is like really unrelated, but a very funny story. And then we will wrap up because you have a whole life and bears to entertain. I am such a terrible test taker. Like it's such a mental game for me in the way that like I'm so mentally challenged when it comes to tests. My mom played this like joke, but it really wasn't a joke. It was like a hypothesis test. She went to my teachers in the sixth grade and said, can we please play a game? It's gonna take you some extra effort, I'm very sorry, but my child keeps failing, but at home she gets every answer correct. So we've got this disconnect and we've gotta solve it because I can't let her get to high school and consistently and constantly fail everything. But then like, you know, on Tuesday, just like talking to her, she gives you all the answers. She would make for like an entire semester, all of my teachers, when like the whole class is taking a test, my teachers would give me a piece of paper that said at the top of it, like homework assignment for Friday. And then it would be, what was the test? It took some practice. I had to kind of like tune out what was happening around me and just kind of like focus inward. But I would keep reading that top, like, you know, headline homework assignment, homework assignment. And the teacher would kind of come up to me and whisper like, okay, this is a study hall for you. Like, just work on your homework. This is a study hall. I'll collect it at the end because you'll probably finish. And I started getting dramatically better grades. Amazing. And it was like, you've got to like, you've got to solve the mental problem if there's like a disconnect. So all of my tests for like an entire semester in the sixth grade <laughs> said homework <laughs> assignment. And at some point, my math teacher figured out that wasn't even working. So I was taking them like outside of class. Like I would go to class, everyone would take a test, and I would just kind of like doodle. And then during like lunch, I would go to his classroom, and he would just like turn on music and make it like very casual. And yeah. giving the test that said homework assignment, and I started getting like nineties and hundreds, whereas I was literally getting like fifties.
0: Not crazy,
1: because I couldn't like mentally like get out of my own way. It's crazy. Anyway, we should be nice to the kids who can't take a test because they might actually know the answers. Yeah. I knew all the answers. I was just a stressed little baby. Yeah, stressed out little one. Stressed. Not good. Not good. So apparently you can't skew when you're stressed. I can't take a test when I'm stressed. We all have our challenges. You know, I thank you so much for all of your time and effort and chatting with me. And honestly, some of the stories I didn't even know. So this is awesome. There's always more. There's always more. All right. I hope okay. to see you soon in this universe yeah. that we live in. Yes, I concur. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode or I thoroughly annoyed you enough that you feel like you have to come back for more, please go subscribe, rate us, send a review, and share us on social. You sharing us means all of our struggles don't have to be in silence anymore. And it means we all have a voice. Most importantly, it means I get to keep making episodes. So please go share.